This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. In our studies in the Sermon on the Mount, today we're going to be studying Matthew 7, 21 through 23. So far in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught about two gates, two ways, two eternal destinations, and two kinds of guides that lead us down the two paths to the two eternal destinations. Now Jesus is going to teach us about what happens at the end of our journey when we reach the eternal destination we chose by our lifestyle. In these verses, Jesus tells us what happens when we are deceived into thinking that we are on the narrow way to life when we were actually traveling the broad way to destruction. The requirement for entering life is willing obedience to God. Matthew 7, 21. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So if false teachers are going to be known by the fruit of their lives, what does the fruit of my life say about me? Not everyone that calls Jesus master will enter eternal life. Strong says that that Greek word translated master means supreme in authority or controller. So not everyone that says Jesus is controlling my life will enter into eternal life. Adam Clark in his commentary stated this, and I quote, No person by merely acknowledging my authority, believing in the divinity of, divinity of my nature, professing faith in the perfection of my righteousness and indefinite merit of my atonement shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, shall have any part with God in glory. But he who doeth the will of my Father, he who gets the bad tree rooted up and the good tree planted and continues to bring forth fruit to the glory and praise of God, unquote. You know, false teachers will cry, Lord, Lord. But so do many borderline Christians as well. When you look in Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, and we want to read verse 46. Luke 6, 46. Jesus just simply said there, and why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why do you call me master? Why do you call me supreme in authority? Why do you call me controller? And you don't do what I say. So let's ask this question. Am I a borderline Christian? Am I doing what Jesus commanded? Am I doing the will of God? Well, God commands us to believe, doesn't he? In John chapter 8, verse 24, John chapter 8, 
verse 24. Jesus said, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. God commands us to repent. Luke chapter 13, verse 3. Luke 13, 3. I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. God commands us to confess Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Then God also commands us to be baptized for the remission of sins. Mark 16, 15 and 16. Mark 16, 15 and 16. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. You know, there are so many people in the denominational world will try, well, they either try to say, well, those verses don't belong there because they're not in two of the ancient manuscripts. But then you go and look at the writings and the versions of the Bible that are a couple of hundred years older than those manuscripts, and they're in there, and one of those leaves a place for it. Or they'll try to say, well, he doesn't say that he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be condemned. Well, he doesn't have to. If you don't believe, you're not going to be baptized. So people come up with a lot of excuses, but the Bible is plain. We must be baptized for the remission of sins. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, Acts 22, 16, And now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? So sins are washed away in baptism. God commands us that we be faithful unto death. Revelation chapter 2, we'll look at verse 10. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. To, excuse me, there to the church in Smyrna, he says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. God commands us to teach others. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, Verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So God does that, but God also teaches us to leave the world behind. Leave the world behind. 
1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For he that is all, excuse me, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So there we see that we cannot love the world. You can't love God and love the world at the same time. You look in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. We have to leave the world behind. It says there, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Now, I want to focus here on, for a minute on Demas. Paul was in a Roman prison here in Colossians chapter 4. He was, that's whenever he, he wrote the letter to the Colossians. He was in a Roman prison. And Demas is with him. Now we go to Philemon, verse 24. Philemon, verse 24. It says, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. So here we have Demas mentioned again. He is a fellow laborer with Paul. And then we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. 2 Timothy 4, 10. Here in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul is now in his second Roman imprisonment. He says the first part of verse 10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. So Demas did not leave the world behind. Though he was with Paul, whenever he was in his first Roman imprisonment, he was a fellow helper of Paul in teaching the gospel in Paul's travels, as we saw there in Philemon. But now Demas has left. He loved the present world. God also commands us to be in attendance when the church is assembled together. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 25 and 26. Hebrews 10, 25 and 26. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Well, uh, well, I was there Sunday morning for uh, uh, worship service. They marked my name off. I was there. Now, I wasn't there Sunday evening because i got to get up early and I got to go to work, or I was just too tired, or go twice on Sunday, you got to be kidding. You know, things such as that. Lord, 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 but I didn't obey. You know, that includes Bible classes, gospel meetings, vacation, Bible school, such things as that. 
because it doesn't say anything about the assembly. I've heard people say, well, the assembly is Sunday morning. Well, nothing in Hebrew says anything about the assembly. It says the assembling, I-N-G. That would be any assembling of the saints. But we use our excuses, don't we, so that we don't have to be there. God commands us to live faithfully every hour of every day of our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now our labor in the world, it's vain, isn't it? You go out and you cut the grass, and you know what? You're going to have to go out and cut it again. It just keeps growing. Our labor is in vain, but if our labor is in the Lord, it's not in vain. And then notice again, he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always and then always abounding. So we are to live faithfully every hour of every day. Go also to Matthew 21, 28 to 32. Matthew 21, 28 to 32. He said, but what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whither of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe. So, you know, how do we tie this in? We got to live faithfully. We can't just say we're going to live faithfully. Oh, I'm going to go, you know, I live faithfully. We can't just say it. You know, what did James say there in James chapter 2? <clears throat> James chapter 2. We're going to begin reading there in verse 17. It said, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith apart from works is dead? So how do we show that we are obeying God? It's through what we do. It's through what we do. We can say anything we want to, but do we prove it? Do we prove it? Far too often, 
we try to justify our actions by just making excuses. One excuse after another. But if we want to enter eternal life, we must do God's will. In John chapter 5, look at verses 28 and 29. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Jesus said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. You know, it doesn't say there, they that have said they did good to the resurrection of life. No, it says they that have done good. In John chapter 8, look at verse 51. John 8, 51. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. There's that biggest two-letter word in the English dictionary, isn't it? That little word, if. If. In John chapter 14, verse 15. John chapter 14, verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. What is Jesus saying there? If you're going to call me Lord, Lord, your controller, your master, obey Keep my commandments. In John fourteen twenty one. John fourteen twenty one. Jesus said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So if we love him, we will keep his commandments, and we show our love for him by keeping his commandments. Then verses 23 and 24 here, John 14. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So it's just very plain right there. Jesus said here in John chapter 14, 23 and 24, If you love me, you're going to obey me. But if you don't love me, you're not going to obey me. You can call me Lord, Lord. And if you obey me, I am. If you don't obey me, I'm not which is exactly what he said over there in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Let's go back and reread that verse. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. We must do what God has commanded us to do. goes right back to what we see in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 22 through verse 25. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, 
He's likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass, well, in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's the word of God, and continueth therein, in other words, doing the things that the word of God requires, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now we go back to Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 22 now. Matthew 7, 22. You know, Jesus is going to hear a lot of excuses on the day of judgment. Verse 22 says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? But Lord, look at me. Look what I did. Jesus, I taught in your name. Well, many will face the judge who are deceived by those false teachers, but they have no excuse for being deceived because they had the opportunity to study God's word for themselves. They have no excuse to be ignorant of God's word. Well, what did they do? They lived deceived. They died deceived by false teachers. And they came to the judgment deceived, just like those here in Matthew 7, 22. They believed and taught some truth, but they also believed and taught error. And that is important. We go over to 2 John. I want to read 2 John. I want to read there beginning in verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth, so this is sin. This is a transgression. Now, what is the transgression he's talking about? And abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. In other words, they do not go by the authority of the New Testament, the things that are written therein. Hath not God, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, the doctrine of Christ, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed, for he that biddeth him God speed is partaker of his evil, day, evil deeds. So he's telling us right there, don't be deceived. We can know what is being taught. I know we looked at the passage last week, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. We need to take the word of God. We need to get an accurate translation. There are translations out there all over the place, and most of them are inaccurate in many places. 
some of the most popular. I know there's others out there as well, but the English Standard Version is one of the worst translations there is. The New International Version, the Revised Standard Version, and all the new, all these new type things. Now the ones that you can count on. You go in and you study. You look at it. The King James Version, the American Standard of 1901, and the New King James Version. Those are three you can rely on. There are many others out there you can't. The literal translation and Young's literal translation are also good translations to go by. You know, those, there are many things that are said in the translations that are error because of the bias of the translators. So we have to have a good translation, but we, that doesn't, you know, you can go out and you can get the little helps like eSword. eSword is free and you can go out and you can look at, you don't have to know Greek to look them up. The numbers are there beside them if you use the King James Plus uh, Bible that they have there and they'll give you Strong's definitions and they'll give you Thayer's definitions and you can download Vincent's word studies and Robertson's word pictures and things and they'll tell you the things about what the Greek words mean. Those are some things that we almost have to know anymore because the translations are leading people astray. Translations lead people astray because of the bias of the translators because the translators are false teachers. So a lot of excuses there, but they're deceived because they don't check the word of God for themselves. They believed and taught some truth again. They believed and taught error also. Kaufman in his commentary stated this, and I quote, many souls shall diligently serve God and do many mighty things in his name only to discover at last that they never really served him at all. Um, excuse me, unquote. Thought they were doing right. They followed their denominational teaching. They followed the teaching of their religion or whatever, and they come to find out all in the end it was all wrong and they didn't check it out for themselves. Many will face the judge who were members of the Lord's church and they taught the truth of God, but they didn't take a stand for God at the times when their faith was weak. Revelation 21.8. Revelation 21.8. You know, you only mentioned Revelation 21.8 when it comes to the part... All liars shall have their part of lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. That's true, yes. But what's the first thing that's mentioned? Revelation 21.8, but the fearful. From the Greek word delos, which means dread, timid, or faithless. They just stand up for God's word. They're faithless. The fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All of those will have that. 
But there are also those who take a stand for God, but for the wrong reasons. Revelation 2, verses 2 through 5. Revelation 2, 2 through 5. And here he's speaking to the church in Ephesus, verse 1 tells us. Verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hath not fainted. They're doing great. Things are going so well there in Ephesus until you get to verse 3, uh, excuse me, verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Who's their first love? God. Oh, they were doing all these things, but they didn't love God anymore. They were doing these things because, oh, look how, look how good we are. You know, you, you look out there, and there's those people over there, and they're doing that, and there's those people over there, and they're doing that, and they're associating with those false teachers over there. We're not associating with those false teachers, and, and, and on and on and on. But they left their first love. So what's the what, what does Jesus say, verse 5? Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works or else I'll come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Well, they're doing all those things. They're doing many. Lord, Lord, we prophesied in thy name. We cast out demons. We did many wonderful works. We had patience. We labored. We did those things in your name. But you didn't do it out of love for God. You did it out of pride for yourself. You did it out of duty. You didn't do it because you love God and because you love your fellow man. What did he tell them to do? They had to repent because they had fallen. And then you got people saying you can never fall from God's grace. So many places in the Bible tell us we can fall. This is just one of them. And he told them, repent or I'm going to remove your candlestick. What's the candlestick? Well, you go back to verse 20 of chapter 1. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels, angels or messengers of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. He could, Jesus, what is Jesus saying? I'm going to withdraw from you. You're not going to be my uh, congregation of mine anymore unless you repent. And he's talking about the whole congregation, wasn't he? The whole congregation. They may have taught God's word correctly and lived unfaithfully. Think about Demas. We've already looked at him. He was faithful. He was faithful, but then he loved the present world. You know, there are those that have left the church. They've fallen away, and they still defend the truth. But they fall away. Jesus, I cast out demons in your name. 
Well, the apostles had the authority to cast out demons. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. So they could do that. Uh, Judas was an apostle, wasn't he? Judas would have been able to do those things. He would have been able to cast out demons. He would have been able to heal the sick. And yet is Demas, uh, excuse me, is Judas saved? Jesus gave the 70 the authority to cast out demons. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Well, casting out demons was one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Just a few verses concerning that. Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and preached, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsy, and that were lame, were healed, and there was great joy in that city. But then they had to send the apostles down to lay their hands so that others could do those miracles as well if you continue reading there in Acts chapter 8. But let's go now to 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. It says there, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given the Spirit of the word of wisdom, or by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, by another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. So that's just a list there of the various gifts of the Holy Spirit that were available then. And then chapter 13, verse 2, he said, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. That kind of refers to the church in Ephesus, didn't it? They had all these wonderful things they were doing. They didn't have love. None of these miracles that people could do back then were worth anything without love. Now, those that were not followers of Jesus could not cast out demons. Acts 19, 13 to 16. Acts 19, 13 to 16. Said then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house 
and were naked and wounded. So they couldn't do it. And there are those that claim today that they can cast out demons and that they're demon possession and that they can do miracles and speak in tongues and all that. But the age of miracles ended when the completed word of God was revealed. Go back to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10, 9 through 10. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. They didn't have the completed word of God then. And Paul's saying we prophesy in part, we know in part. But when that which is perfect, that word being complete in the Greek, is come, then that which in part shall be done away. That knowledge in part will be done away when we know completely. For now, oh, excuse me, verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That's just an example. Verse 12, for now we see through a glass darkly. In other words, we're receiving parts of God's word at a time. and We need to put all these things together. But then, when everything is put together, face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I also am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So those miracles are not needed anymore. The miracles were used by God to prove to confirm, I'll put it this way, the word of God. Mark chapter 16, verse 20. Mark 16, 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following amen. So the signs, the miracles were to prove, to confirm the word of God. And then there are those that will say, Jesus, I did many wonderful works in your name. The phrase wonderful works is translated from the Greek word dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. Strong says that dunamis means this, force, literally or figuratively, specifically miraculous power. So this may refer to miracles done by the individuals making the excuses to the judge, or may just be talking about the good things they did. But there are a lot of people that do a lot of good works, but they don't do it for the right reason. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this time. Look at verse 3. 1 Corinthians 13, 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity or love, it profiteth me nothing. They could have been doing all these wonderful things, but they didn't have the love for God that they had to have for that to be profitable to themselves. These people did extraordinary things in the name of Jesus, according to them at least, and Jesus didn't deny it. But they weren't faithful. There are a lot of things done today in the name of Jesus that are not done with his authority. 
you may have heard such things as jumping jacks for Jesus and some of these other gimmicks that people come up with. Those are not done with his authority. You see, Jesus will be our judge and his word is the standard by which we will be judged. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, Acts chapter 17, verse 31, it says, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. So God is going to judge the world with Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. Jesus will be the judge. And then we turn to John chapter 12, verse 48. John 12, 48. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So Jesus is going to judge the world by his word. And his word is the New Testament. In John 16, 13 through 15, it says, Jesus speaking to his apostles, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, he shall take up mine, and shall show it unto you. Everything the apostles wrote, everything the inspired men wrote that we have in the New Testament, is inspired of God. So it's not just the red letters that are the words of Jesus. The whole New Testament is the word of Jesus. We look in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. In verse 11. Paul says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. Verses 11 and 12. So the New Testament is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul, James, Peter, you know, whoever did all the writing there, Jude, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I mean, all these writers wrote the word of Christ. People were trying to justify themselves by listing all their accomplishments, but justification does not come by our own righteousness. It comes by obeying God's will. In Luke 17, look at verses 7 through 10. Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. Jesus said, But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meet, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve meat, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. The word trow means think. 
Verse 10, So likewise, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. We're just doing that which God has told us to do. In Titus chapter 3, look at verse 5. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And then Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, that means by his authority, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. You know, those that said, you know, I cast out demons in your name, I prophesied in your name, I did many wonderful works, they weren't rejected because their claims were false, but because of their failure to obey God's word. And their failure to obey is equivalent to working wickedness. In Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou wilt bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hast aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Do things that are right. Do them correctly. James 4, 17. James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So what did they do? Matthew 7, 23. They failed to be genuine disciples. Matthew 7, 23. And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Members of the Lord's church can and do work iniquity. Matthew 13, 41 to 42. Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 the 42. This is in the parable of the tares. And he's giving the explanation. So the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom. That's the church. He shall gather out of the church all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's what we're looking at here in the parable of the tares because the tares look like the wheat and the wheat and the tares are mixed together in the church. Not everyone that's in the church is going to be saved. In Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, Tell me if you know any members of the church that are doing some of these things. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. 
You know anybody sowing discord? You know anybody lying? You know anybody had a, an abortion? That's shedding innocent blood. Jesus did not deny they taught in his name. They did not deny their claim of casting out demons. Jesus did not deny their many wonderful works. Jesus denied their faithfulness. They did not obey God's word. And Jesus said he never knew them. The word never, Strong says the Greek word means not even at any time that is never at all. He never knew them. Now, he knew all about them, but he did not know them as a genuine disciple. In the book of Ezekiel, look at chapter 3, verse 20. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 20. When a Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sins, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered. But his blood will I require at thine hand. But the righteousness will not be remembered. And Jesus uttered those words to them, to, to them that we don't want to hear. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Depart means go away. Jesus tells them, go away, Matthew 25, 41. Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he shall say also to them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. They were departing, they were to travel away. Why did Jesus send them away? They worked iniquity. Worked means they were engaged in. Iniquity means they were in violation of law. Wickedness, and those are Strong's definitions. They transgressed God's law. 1 John 3, 4. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. They did some good things, but they expected God to save them on their own terms. So Jesus said, depart. I never knew you. If you are when. When you face Jesus on Judgment Day, you're either going to hear, Come, ye blessed of my Father, or depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The question is, are you doing your best for God? Or are you working iniquity? Not doing your best is working iniquity. Excuses for our actions, excuses for our lack of actions, they're not going to work on the Judgment Day. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. 
We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Wave Media by visiting us at BibleWaveMedia.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We thank you for listening.